I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moira Ghosts, Legends, and Lore, the healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. There will be a bit of debunking again today. I feel like we always have some type of debunking, even if like our whole episode's not fully about debunking. It just, <laughs> it has to be like, hey, yo, what's up? I'm debunking. I'm here. I'm gonna lightly debunk. Lightly, just lightly. Pol- politely and lightly debunking. Gently. We're going to gently debunk. Subtle debunk. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're doing another curse episode today. Oh, heck so, yes. Yeah, anytime we start talking about the curses, you know Kim's going to be on board with the debunking. Scully uh, is going to show her true colors today. Scully's got a Scully. Although, again, you know, I feel like with some of these, I don't have to work too hard because you're just looking at the evidence. 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 Uh, but it's a, a little bit of a different curse than what I've covered before. Oh, well, why is it different? Uh, rather than looking at a specific movie, we are actually looking at um, a character. Oh, that's fun. Gabby, were you ever a fan of Superman? (laughs) No, but other people were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so I don't know if you know this about me. Um, I was a hardcore Superman fan when I was a kid. I did not know that about you. What a fun fact. I used to watch The New Adventures of Superman on Nick at Night with George Reeves. Uh, I started reading the comics when I was a kid. Cute. I got into it during the death of Superman phase. I Supergirl too. I was really into Supergirl. Uh, I still have a ton of comics in my storage locker. Uh, there was even a novelization of the death of Superman because it was this like huge event, and it, it spawned a bunch of new offshoots. And uh, so it was it was pretty notable. I I watched Lois and Clark, the New Adventures of Superman. And uh, I mean, like my my interest tapered off um, a bit after that. And, you know, Dean Cain ended up being kind of cray. But uh, <laughs> I have a, a affectionate history with the franchise. I appreciate nice. it. I nice. enjoy it. Did you know this franchise is supposedly cursed? I did not. Actually, mm. this is going to be so fun. I'm looking forward to this. The Superman curse. And again, I, I love a good curse. Uh this one though is 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 pretty interesting. Uh, I do want to mention that there are some references to um, suicide. There's going to be a couple references to someone who died uh, from an alleged suicide and and others who may have attempted it. So just want to give a little content warning at uh, the top. So the character of Superman was started by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. First issue came out in June of 1938. And this was actually a piece I didn't know. The origin of the curse. It wasn't just that this character, who is, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. It wasn't that he just was, like, born cursed. That'd be kind of weird, right? I mean, also, like, really shitty. (laughs) Especially because he's so he's so like quintessentially America, right? Yeah, but also that says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different um, story for a different time. That's a different podcast. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, despite creating one of the most iconic superheroes, 
neither of these men saw any royalties for what they would create. Uh, they really? sold the rights for $130. That's it? That's it. Dang. I mean, it's the 1930s, but still, that's not a ton of money. No. But this also wasn't uncommon. You create something, you're a struggling, you know, artist, you're, you're trying to, to make a living, you sell something so you can make some money. Sure. However, as the character took off, Jerry Siegel was not satisfied with the fact that, that he kind of felt like he was duped out of a significant chunk of money. So sure. he tried to sue for part of the fortune, and he was unsuccessful. He wrote a letter to Paul Sampliner, who was an executive at D.C. in 1951. And this is where it gets sort of interesting. So the letter starts off. <clears throat> it may add to the joy of your Christmas merrymaking to know that I am going to have to go on relief while you make millions from my creation. Ooh. Yeah, not pulling punches. They know that you destroyed me for profit and that you are not offering my family a helping hand so that we can survive. How can you enjoy any achievement knowing it is being built on my crushed career? Oh, damn. Is money, all caps, worth that? When you face your maker, will he accept the fine print in your lawyer's legalisms? Oh, shoot. Are you at all concerned with your immortal soul? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and you can find the entire letter online. Um, but... This is where it takes a turn. And again, this next bit was written entirely in caps on the typewriter. Oh, fun. He ends his letters like this. As long as I live and afterwards, I shall haunt you and yours before God. I put a curse on you. I love this so much. Uh-huh. Also, and I feel like you have to say that yelling if it's in all caps. Oh, absolutely, but I don't want to, you know, blow we'll up my the mic, mic or, or my, my eardrums. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what's wild, because, like, I knew about the super... I've known about the Superman curse for, for years. Um, I did not realize this is really the origin of it. And it's not a part that's actually super well publicized. What's publicized huh. is a lot of the tragic events that are going to happen after. Sure. But this dude is fall on saying, I am cursing you. He's fucking shit up. Right? And he didn't stop with this letter. He kept sending letters. That's a petty, petty shit. I love it. There was a poem. Oh. <gasps> Uh, another letter he wrote congratulating one of the other executives on their daughter's engagements. But then he writes, Once I lived in University Heights, Cleveland, in a nice home, until another injustice ruined my life and career. And this continued until 1975. Man, I thought it was petty to begin with. I love this guy. And... The only reason it stopped, so in 1975, that's when they announced that um, the first official Superman movie was going to get made. And Jerry Siegel sent out a letter to thousands of news outlets. <laughs> oh, shit. And the letter read, 
I, Jerry Siegel, the co-originator of Superman, put a curse on the Superman movie. I hope it super bombs. I hope loyal <laughs> Superman fans stay away from it in droves. I hope the whole world becoming aware of the stench that surrounds Superman will avoid the movie like a plague. Damn. <laughs> I gotta say... I mean, this is like the crotchety old grandpa we all want in our lives. Also, just the dedication. Like, cheers to that. Decades of this. That's amazing. I thought Decades. you were going to say the only reason why it stopped was because he died. No, it stopped <laughs> because at this point, Warner Brothers is like, oh, my God, shut up. <laughs> so they give them both a $20,000 a year stipend before the first film came out in 1978. Literally to just shut him up. It was cheaper to shut him up like this. Because 20000 a year to Warner Brothers, pfft. Nothing. No, they lose that in their couch cushions, their mistresses. Um, <laughs> this was, this, but this was, this was kind of game changing for both of them. Like, it was, it was something. It was an acknowledgement. Sure. Uh, uh, Siegel kept working, but never created anything as iconic as Superman. He died in 1996 at the age of 81. Schuster's a little sad. He lost his eyesight. Uh, He kept working in comics and cartoons, but eventually he had to give it up because he just couldn't see well enough. Oh, that's so sad. He went into debt and he died in 1992 at the age of 78. That's sad. It's sad. And a curse is born. I mean, or he just like died. No, I just mean like they started a curse because they said Oh, yeah. That's true. But also, that's not why he died. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so after that, we have some Superman cartoons happening. This was between 1941 and 1943. They were produced by brothers Max and David Flesher. While working on this project, though, the brothers had a falling out. They never worked together again and never really repaired their relationship. Max would die with no money, which is a bummer. But like, I don't know. Is that a curse or is that just Hollywood and family? <laughs> That's just life. Is life cursed? Like, in general? Don't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting too real, Gabby. We're getting too real. Okay, getting too real. Bud Collier was the voice of Superman in said cartoon. Um, Okay, so this was kind of funny. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking through all these articles and reading about various points in the curse. And um, you read one that makes something sound so dire and then you actually like read about somebody's life and you're like oh so in a bunch of the articles i was reading referencing bud collier they're all like yeah he died super young so i'm like super young oh my god was he like 25 30 he was 61 (laughs) that's not super young that's not like super old it's not super old absolutely but no one at 61 you're not like oh what a tragedy this person had their whole life ahead of them he had it and he also like he had a, a decent career he hosted a bunch of game shows so it, it's i don't know this is this is this is a huge stretch one this is one of those ones where you're like oh look someone died we should put them on the list that's why i was saying oh they died so it's a curse it's a curse not necessarily um, Now, there have been a number of actors who portrayed Superman through the years, and many of them, indeed, have met some less-than-stellar fates. Okay, okay. Kirk Allen. He portrayed Superman in two 15-part movie serials in 1948 and 1950. He looked like the character. Uh, He'd come out of the theater. He had a lot of dance training, and so they liked that 
some of the flying tricks and stuff. He was he was a kind of a perfect match for that sort of thing. Sure. Um, after he portrayed Superman, he struggled to find additional work. And he'd say it was because he was getting typecast. He complained about walking down the street and hearing people call out like, hi, Superman. <laughs> um, but like, listen, OK, if we're using an actor not getting work as our bar for a curse, <laughs> we in trouble. Uh, yeah, I was also going to be like, that sounds a lot like, hi, Barbie. <laughs> hi, Barbie. One well, and, and um, I mean, some of this was self-inflicted because he was actually offered the role when when Superman was going to be going to a TV series. He was offered the role to continue it and he turned it down. Oh, dang. Because he didn't want to continue to be associated with Superman, which, again, on the one side, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But on the other side, it's a bro, job, that man. was work. It's a job. Yeah. And as an actor, especially a TV actor. Yeah. You often have like one role you are known for. Yeah. Um, he he returned to theater. He did a bunch of commercials. In the 1970s, Superman saw the spike in popularity because they, they made the movies. Uh, he starts getting asked to do conventions and talks at universities. He would say in 1972, playing Superman ruined my acting career and I've been bitter for many years about the whole thing. But now it's finally starting to pay off. And I, I feel like I see this at conventions. You have, you know, I, I horror conventions and stuff. You have the actors there who you can tell resent the hell out of being at a horror convention. Like they're there because it's a paycheck. They don't like that this is what they're known for. They're not enjoying the fans. They don't like the people are dressing up in cosplay as like their, you know, killer in whatever movie. And then there's the people who are like, this is my bread and butter. These people are keeping me employed. They are who who delight in it and who appreciate that, like, this is, you know, part of being a performer is performing. And this is an element of it if you take certain work. Sure. Um, so uh, he also, so he would play Lois Lane's dad in the 1978 Superman movie. It may not have been the career he hoped for, but... I'm kind of hard pressed to look at this and say a curse derailed it. He discovered, like many actors, that, you know, yep, you're roped into a, a niche part. Ask William Shatner. Ask Leonard Nimoy. Mark Hamill. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just accept it if you, you want to be successful. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the name of the game. So, again, curse or showbiz? <laughs> Is that going to be our uh, option, curse or showbiz? Honestly, for most of these, yes. <laughs> Next was George Reeves. And so this is what I would look at. And this is one that I knew about. Like, the first and most significant case you can look at and say, okay, maybe curse. He played Superman in The New Adventures of Superman. Uh, again, the man who got me into the character of Superman. He died of alleged suicide. You like my word choice? Alleged. Allegedly. Allegedly. Let's take a little closer look at George Reeves and his life. Let's do it. George Reeves was born George Kiefer Brewer. What a name. On, right? Great name. January 5th of 1914 in Woolstock, Iowa, which is a farming community. His parents divorced shortly after his birth, which for the time period is, you know, that's a thing. His mom, Helen, moved to Pasadena, California, when George was still a baby. She would meet a man named Frank Basolo and marry him. After high school, he went to study music and acting and did so at his junior college and participated at a local theater. He'd get his film break when he was cast as the small part of Stuart Tarleton 
in Gone with the Wind. Oh. Uh, have you have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Not in a really, really, really long time. And I have a memory of a goldfish. So Yeah, I had to look it up to remind myself who he was. So his character uh, had a twin brother and they were both interested in Scarlett O'Hara and then would later die at Gettysburg. Ah, Still don't know who it is. I have to rewatch I, it. I, looking at the, I was like looking at the pictures being like, yeah, I vaguely recall this. But yeah, it's been a hot second since I've watched Gone with the Wind. Uh, this, though, would get him a contract with Warner Brothers Studios. And this is where his name changed from Brewer to Reeves. Hmm. He continued acting in a number of films, none of them super memorable until he landed a starring role in So Proudly We Hail. Things are going well. Things are looking up. But it's the 1940s. What was happening in the 1940s, Gabby? What was it? Oh, World War II. That would be it. And like a lot of, uh, I mean, not just performers, but people too. You know, his life kind of got upended. He uh, joined the army, joined the special theatrical unit to make training films for the army. Oh, that's kind of cool. Including a film on the dangers of venereal disease, which I need to find because I need that in my life. (laughs) Is that fun? Being known as the guy who got VD, like around the the base, VD to train. (laughs) He's stationed in New York. He actually got a role in a play that went to Broadway. Cool. So, 1946, he returns to California. He continues to do a bunch of eh, not awesome films, which made him decide, okay, maybe I should focus on TV. Which also, like, you know, he's in his his 30s now. He wants to find some more stability. He is cast in The New Adventures of Superman, which is an instant hit. Everyone knew who he was, which should be awesome, but instead, he gets more and more despondent about what his career had become. Not dissimilar to Kirk Allen. He didn't want to be seen as just this one character. Uh, He got a film... He got a role in the film From Here to Eternity. When the movie was in previews, someone in the audience yells, there's Superman. When he came on screen, people laughed. His role was cut down to almost nothing. He wasn't even credited in the final cut. Oh, my God. That sucks. It really sucks. So he, he's struggling to find additional work. And he was quoted once as saying, the producers wouldn't give me a job. They'd take one look at me and say it was impossible. Even with the Superman gig, he's not rolling in money. None of the actors are being paid particularly well. TV wasn't seen anywhere near as respectable uh, as a gig as film was. And so actors weren't really being compensated the same way. Superman would get canceled in 1957. Things were kind of continuing on a downward slide. His personal life was a mess. He had been in a relationship with Tony Mannix. She was the common-law wife of Eddie Mannix, who worked as a general manager of MGM, also allegedly had mob connections. Uh-oh. Uh, he's kind of a character all by himself. Like, we could, uh, he doesn't really fit the MO of our podcast, but we could absolutely do an episode on him. He was what we would call a fixer. What is that? Did you, see, uh, did you see Hail Caesar? No, Coen I wanted to, but I didn't see it. It's kind of loosely based on him. Um, oh, dang. A fixer's job was to protect the studio and cover up scandals, whatever that might be. Um, covering up pregnancies, covering up, he allegedly covered up sexual assault. He'd oh, get damn. an abortion for a leading lady. Uh, there was a, a whole story about like 
uh, one of the starlets who got pregnant didn't want to give the baby up, so they arranged it as though she was adopting her own baby. So she didn't, like, you know, oh, you're going to go somewhere where people won't see you, and you're going to say it's because you're adopting a baby. And then after you give birth, you're going to adopt your own baby as though you have just adopted a child. That's so messed up. It's so messed up. Um, But he dealt with all of these issues that could have been bad news for the studios. According to various sources, though, he knew that his wife was involved with Reeves and encouraged it. Really? I don't know. Reeves relied on her for a lot of things. Writer Jim Nolt would say, quote, the relationship between George and Tony was a very open relationship. She took care of George very well. The car that he drove was bought by Tony, and the house that he lived in was Tony's house. But something happened in late 58 that broke that relationship off. Do we know what that was? Well, I mean, he broke it off. Uh Oh. (laughs) Partially because he got into a relationship with a younger woman named uh, Leonore Lemon. What a name. What a name. She was a New York socialite. She also kind of called herself an actress, but hadn't really acted much by the time she was, had met George. Very different from Tony. Jim Nolt would say she had a reputation, a bad reputation, to the point that Reeves got a restraining order against her, and Eddie was mad that his wife was so upset. Which is just so messy. Imagine that. My wife's boyfriend broke up with her and she's real upset. So I'm mad on her behalf. I mean, that's a special kind of relationship right there. Love is. Uh, Things weren't great between Reeves and, and Lenore, though. Their relationship was a lot of partying and drinking. And they got engaged, but... Lenore was kind of realizing that Reeves didn't have the money she thought he had. Mm, You mean the money from his girlfriend who's married to a different guy? Well, pretty much. Like, part of where he was kind of keeping a more affluent lifestyle was because of her. Right. So, on June 15th of 1959, there was a gathering at his home. By midnight, everyone had left, but Leonore and writer Robert Condon and Reeves had uh, gone upstairs. Two of Leonore's friends came to the house wanting to participate in the party. Upset, George comes downstairs to complain about the noise, saying he was in no mood for a party. Had a drink with everyone and went back upstairs. According to witnesses, Leonore then said, He's going upstairs to shoot himself. (gasps) Then... See, he's opening the drawer to get the gun. Then a sound. I told you he shot himself. What? Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Weirder still, no one called the police for about 45 minutes. Did they go check? Did they look at him? Like, what? Well, this is where stories get kind of weird. So... Police arrive early in the morning on June 16th of 1959. Reeves is dead in the bedroom. He's naked, had a bullet wound in his head. Death was ruled almost immediately a suicide, but Leonore was asked about the comments she made. And she said she was kidding. What? But stuff wasn't adding up. Uh, Family and friends were saying there's no way George would have killed himself. His mother would say, quote, it's not like my George to do a thing like that. She'd go as far as to hire the famous Hollywood attorney, Jerry Giesler, Giesler, Geisler, to investigate. (laughs) But he dropped the case pretty suddenly with no public explanation. That's weird. I will lightly interject here. 
Okay. It, it is very common for friends and family to not believe that a person in their life was capable of this and That's that true. they didn't see signs. So where I, I believe them or and I believe that they believe that, that by itself is not evidence. Evidence. Jack Larson, who played Jimmy Olsen on the show, would say, nobody wanted me to work at all. I don't know what happened to George. I was depressed, and I accepted instantly that he had committed suicide. Damn. But as I said, there was a couple oddities beyond just the behavior of some of the party guests. Um, Sure. No fingerprints on the gun. That's weird. That is weird. Bullet was lodged in the ceiling above the bed, but the shell casing was underneath the body. And the argument being, if he had held the gun to his head, the shell of the gun should have been propelled away from the body, not under it. Yeah. There's also two other gunshot holes in the carpet, yet the witnesses only reported hearing the one shot. That's weird. And he had bruises and marks on his body. That's also weird. Now... To, to Scully a bit. Um, one thing that gets used a lot is the fact there was no powder burns on his hands uh, or his skin, like, against his head. Mm-hmm. However, and I didn't realize this, if the gun isn't held against the skin, you could get powder burns. But if the gun was being held right up flush, there wouldn't have necessarily been residue. Interesting. And apparently... The gun handle had some sort of oil on it, which could explain lack of fingerprints because the the fingerprints wouldn't have stuck to the oil. That seems to be, like, really convenient. Well, like, gun oil. I mean, I don't know that that's... He had only recently gotten the gun, so if he had just cleaned it... Oh, okay. Uh... Now, Reeves was exploring other options outside of acting. He'd started getting into directing. He'd directed several episodes of, of Superman before it had gone off the air. So check that another box for like, okay, he was trying to figure his stuff out. Uh, a movie came out in 2006 called Hollywood Land. It goes into the different scenarios that could have happened. It's, it's an interesting movie. It's kind of underappreciated. It's worth a watch. The conclusion is <clears throat> that he either committed suicide, was murdered by Eddie Mannix for upsetting his wife, or that Leonor killed him during a fight and delayed calling the police to have a chance to cover it up. I feel like the last one is, like, probably the most probable. Well, okay. So, let's look at these. Suicide. He was drinking. Potentially down about his career. Recently purchased a handgun. He'd also suffered a concussion two months prior from a car accident. Head trauma can create issues, and can make issues worse. So, okay. Tony or Eddie Mannix. Now, Tony Mannix would call Phyllis Coates at 4.30 a.m. that morning. Phyllis Coates, for those of you who don't know, and that's probably most of you, she was the uh, original Lois Lane Mm. in the show. 4.30 a.m., Tony Mannix calls and says, The boy is dead. He's been murdered. Now, how would she know so soon? It wasn't public knowledge. She wasn't at the house. How does she know he was murdered? How does she know he was murdered? Why would she say that? Why would she say murdered? Not shot. Not suicide. Murdered. 
either because she did it or she knows who did. I don't know. Or she was so upset and she hated Leonor and thought Leonor did it. Sure. Reeves also left most of his estate to Tony Mannix, not his fiance, but his former lover. Um, Leonor contested this, saying that there was another will, but nothing was ever found. Uh, this one isn't quite as weird to me as it is to some people. Like, he probably just never got around to it. Sure. Like, that's why a lot of people don't change their wills. They, nobody thinks you necessarily need to. Especially if you're not, like, old. Yeah. You know? So let's look at Leonor. One of the arguments is that uh, her and George got in a fight. In a moment of passion or even an accident, she shoots him. The, the theory I kind of found most interesting that, that combines two of these is that uh, it was an author named Lee Saylor. And his argument is that it was death by suicide, but that Leonor witnessed it. He points to Leonor's word choice in the interview with police, which is, I heard something. Not, we heard something. I heard something. Hmm. She also sent someone else to go upstairs to confirm Reeves had shot himself and didn't go check herself. So... What Lee Saylor puts out there is that you have Reeves who's been drinking. They get into a fight. He shoots himself in front of her. The others who were there at this point are passed out, so they don't hear anything. And if they've been drinking, I'd believe that. Bill Bliss, who is the man who would ultimately go up and check and find the body, he hadn't arrived yet. So Leonore, panicking, just goes back downstairs and waits for someone else to come. Huh. She allegedly called her former lover, New York City attorney Edward Williams. Edward Williams would write a memoir and say this in his book. And she said, Superman is dead. And he tells her to call the cops and not say anything. Yikes. And that could account for the gap between when the gunshot was allegedly heard and when police were finally called. That would make sense, yeah. So what happened to George Reeves? No real investigation was ever conducted. His death remains listed as a suicide to this day. What do you think? I think that's some shady shit, man. I feel like it's just weird. Because I don't want to... I, I feel like... Because I, I agree with you from the perspective of suicide where it can be tough for people to come to terms with the fact that a loved one is in a space that that might happen. Yeah. Especially um, parents. Yeah, and it just seems like there was so much going on in his life, and it was really messy, and, mm -hmm. like, that's just what you know and what, what is published. Like, you don't know what might not have or what might have also been going on simultaneously that was private. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, there's there there's that, but I also – I just feel like Leonore's – approach is so weird like it seems shady the way she's handling things and like the fact that she would say he's up there he's gonna kill himself what like yeah. that first of all if she like was joking that's also really messed up and like One, that's where i wonder if he'd said some things before where it was already in her mind if he'd made comments like he said about he was gonna do it 
Yeah, and she'd been pretty dismissive of it. And so when he does that, she's just like, oh, he's just, it's just him being, it's George being George. But also if he's actually doing it, that's like, whoa, whoops. Like. One, and the the reporting of that night's so weird because there's so many different kind of angles to it. Yeah. I, I do put some credibility to the idea that that maybe there was a fight and he did it in front of her. Or it was an accident. Yeah. And she panicked. Yeah. I could see that. Um, I'm not someone who really thinks that the Mannixes were involved personally. Um, what's interesting about the, the movie Hollywood Land is that it takes you through each scenario. Like the guy that's investigating that's cool. it, you kind of watch each scenario playing out and are left like, which one could it have been? I feel like um, I've seen this movie and it's driving me nuts, so I'm looking it up right it's, now. It's uh, it's what's his butt is um, oh god, what is his butt? Uh, he he, then he was Batman. Adrian um, Brody. Well, Adrian Brody is the oh, guy ben investigating Affleck. Ben Affleck. Thank you. It's like he's I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm That's Batman. kind of ironic when the story is about Superman. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's 2006. He wouldn't be Batman for like ten more years. <laughs> That's fair. Um. I don't actually but, I think I've I've heard of this movie, but I've never seen it. It's interesting. Like I and I, I watched it back when it first came out and it's not perfect, but it, it's worth a watch. It's an interesting movie. Uh, and the the format of it and it's full of of a lot of good actors. I think is it Julianne Moore. Did I make that up? Who's in it? I don't know. Diane so, Lane. Di- ah, I was like, it's someone who's Julianne uh, uh, more ish, yes, Diane Lang. More ish, um, more ish. She she's in it. She plays, I think, the Tony Mannix character, if I'm recalling. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, and Bob um, Hoskins. Oh yeah, it's again, it's it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. But uh, do you think that this was because of a curse? No. <laughs> Wow, I like how quickly you were to discount it. I'm like, no, Kim, don't be ridiculous. It couldn't be a curse. I mean, maybe, sure, but I think we have to know what actually happened to know if it's a curse or not, to be honest. I like, I think this is another case of like something just went wrong, like mm-hmm. in it's one sad. way or another. And it's, it's just it is really sad. sad. Yeah. I, I feel like, okay, hear me out. I feel like if something like this happened, like immediately after a curse was placed, Mm-hmm. Then I'd be like, hmm. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. But this is like how many years later? <laughs> well, if you're looking at the 1951 letter as being the original, like, quote unquote, curse letter. Curse. The curse letter. <laughs> the, the curse letter. <laughs> then uh, it's 59 at this point. So it's it's a number of years It's later. been a few years. Like, yeah. it hasn't even been a decade. What I mean by that is like. If within the next year something happened that was this severe, I would be like, hmm. Yeah. But I mean, there is no such thing as like an ex- an amount of time that has to pass for something to not be a curse. No, I mean, I think it's like, look at the Jake Bird curse. Part of why right. people look at the Jake Bird or the Jake Bird hex, excuse me, it wasn't a curse is. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, go listen. Uh, we we covered well, we covered it a million years ago. I might recover it at some point. But Jake Bird was a serial killer in the 1940s. When he was convicted, he put a hex on people involved in his case. And within a year, it was like six people involved in his case had died. Yeah, like, that's wild. That's weird. Now, yeah. a lot of them were old men. But still, 
that number of people in that short amount of time is enough to give you pause. When a movie has things happening on set or right before a movie comes out, a bunch of things happen. Yeah, that's easier to look at and be like, "Mm, curse. But when you're dealing with kind of an indefinite amount of time, of course stuff's going to happen. People are going to die. Accidents are going to happen. Tragedies are going to happen because that is life. Bitches. <laughs> anyway. B- bitches be cursed. Bitches be cursed. So uh, that's George Reeves. That's, that's our first kind of notable one. Um, this next part, I'm sure a few of you at home may know the next one I'm going to be talking about. Another tragedy that befell an actor portraying Superman. Christopher Reeve played Superman in four movies, arguably one of the best known Superman actors, at least by a certain generation. (laughs) Uh, He was born. Yeah, Gabby raised her hand. I love it. He was born in New York in 1952. He studied at Cornell University in Juilliard. Wow. On Broadway before he was cast in a soap opera called Love of Life. (laughs) Wow, what a name. He was cast as Superman in the 1978 film to great acclaim, later starring in three additional Superman films in 1980, 1982, and 1987. Like his predecessors, he struggled a little finding roles outside of Superman, but he had a number of other film roles that he did. Uh, Somewhere in Time, Death Trap, The Aviator, as well as a TV adaption of Anna Karenina, which is where he became interested in Horseback riding. Oh, that's fun. May of 1995, he was in a horrible horse riding accident. He injured his spine, was left paralyzed from the neck down, requiring a wheelchair and a respirator to breathe. Superman 2 director Richard Donner would later say, I don't want to believe it. But every once in a while, somebody will bring it to my attention and I'll bend to it. God almighty, I hope I'm wrong. But who knows? I have guilt sometimes about Chris that what we did brought about the curse of Superman. Look at it. Almost everybody. I don't believe those things at all. But they're there. There's got to be a reason that they're there. Uh, There's a lot of articles, too, that were pointing to like, uh uh-oh, curse of Superman. I was going to say, like, I feel like it really depends on who you're talking to. Like, it, it really, truly depends on how superstitious people are. And I think, like, in sports, people are really, really superstitious. And don't, like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know a ton about the entertainment industry in the way that you do. But I do know a lot of people in the entertainment industry are pretty superstitious to a degree oh, as well. Absolutely. And so I wonder how much of that influences the thought process of curse or no curse. Well, because like on the surface, it, it's a absolutely horrific accident. It's devastating. I can see why people would look at this and say, oh, no, curse. But it also isn't like, like Reef took it in stride. It was kind of remarkable how positive he stayed, at least publicly. Yeah, I remember that, actually. He became an advocate for causes supporting handicapped children and paraplegics. He testified before a Senate subcommittee to get support for federal funding in stem cell research, which I remember that. Mm -hmm. It was huge. Yeah. Uh, 
And he underwent experimental procedures that greatly improved his quality of life, uh, even to the point where he was able to breathe without a respirator for several hours. He founded the Christopher Reeve Paralysis Foundation in 1996, eventually merged with the American Paralysis Association in 1999. Uh, He acted in the 1998 made-for-TV remake of Rear Window. He received a Golden Globe nomination for that. He directed two TV movies, as well as wrote two books. That's impressive. It's impressive, especially like, okay, so he dies on October 10th in 2004. Um, which is about nine years after his accident. Sure. He'd gotten an infection, I think, on and died of cardiac arrest. He was 52. That's but so in sad. nine years, acts in a movie, directs two more movies, wrote two books, testifies for a subcommittee, creates a foundation, becomes essentially a motivational speaker. I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah, that's, a lo- that's really impressive for like... Anyone, but especially someone who's been through what he's been through. It would be so easy, especially I played Superman. I am supposed to be the peak physical specimen of of American superheroes. And now I'm paralyzed from the waist down or from, excuse me, from the neck down. It would be so easy to let that completely crush you. And, and he just, it's inspirational. And he was. He was a huge inspiration for people. So, I don't know. Um, Looking at it and saying curse is, I don't know why it feels icky when he, it's like life gave him lemon and he made, like he opened a lemonade stand. I mean, you know, it's just... Like, uh, if, he, if it was a curse, he didn't let it be a curse. Do no. you know what I mean? Yeah. Ex- no, that's a really good way to put it. If a curse did it, he turned it completely around and flipped the curse off and said, ha ha, motherfuckers, try to stop me. <laughs> Verbatim. <laughs> exactly. That was, was what he said. I was there. Um, now, his wife, Dana Reeve, died two years later at the age of 44 from lung cancer. And sometimes people do associate that with a curse because she wasn't a smoker which is dumb um cancer's cancer like my uncle died of lung cancer he wasn't a smoker either it doesn't unfortunately always yeah no cancer does not necessarily discriminate and it's sad but (sighs) i don't know again this 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 turning certain stories into curse bait just makes me a little cranky also okay so the accident (laughs) happened what like Eight years after he did his final Superman film, coming back back to that point, like how much time had passed? He did the last Superman film in 87. Mm-hmm. He had the accident in 95. And this is also what, 17 years after he acted in, his, in the original Superman film? Mm-hmm. If we're using curse logic or this curse logic, then that means literally anything that happens to a public figure at any time could be looked at as a curse. That's true. Now, the George Reeves and the Christopher Reeve stories are the two people look at most fervently in terms of talking about the Superman curse, but those are not the only ones. Um, Marlon Brando. You know who Marlon Brando is. Yes, you do. 
He played Superman's father, Jor-El, in the 1978 film, and he had a lot of tragedies in his life, even before he played Jor-El. Uh, but people do link a few specific ones to the curse. First, his son, Christian. Christian had a hard life. Marlon Brando and Christian's mother had a horrible custody battle. By the time Christian was living with Brando, he had a lot of emotional issues. He was close to his half-sister, Cheyenne, who in 1990 was involved with a man named Dag Drollet. What a name! That is a name and a half. She was pregnant. She called Christian and told him that Dag had been beating her. Oh, no. Christian went to where she was, which was Marlon Brando's L.A. mansion, confronted Dag, and during this confrontation, would end up shooting Dag in the back of the head. Oh, damn. Uh, he said that there was a struggle and it happened accidentally, but back of the head, Dag was holding a pack of cigarettes and a TV remote. That doesn't seem very threatening. It does not seem very threatening. Uh, he pled guilty to manslaughter, and although the prosecutors had wanted to get him for murder, Cheyenne was in a psychiatric hospital during the trial, and she was the only other witness, so they went with what they Ugh. knew they could get. Yeah, you can't rely on someone that's in a psychiatric no. hospital. Uh, Marlon Brando would give an hour-long plea to the judge. Damn. During which he said, I think I perhaps failed him as a father. The tendency is to blame the other parents, but I am certain there were things I could have done differently. He also told uh, Dag Drolet's family that, quote, I'm sorry, if I could trade places with Dag, I would. Oh. Christian was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He would serve five before he was released. Uh, he would also plead guilty in 2005 to beating his wife at the time. Ooh. And yeah, uh, went on probation. He died of pneumonia at the age of 49 years old after a lot of addiction issues, a lot uh. of other issues. Yeah. And also, tragically, Cheyenne Brando died by suicide in 1995. She was 25 years old. That's rough. It's her whole life. I did a little reading up on her because I went down to Marlon Brando rabbit hole one day a while back. And man, her 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 life made me sad. Uh, Brando died three months after Reeve at the age of 80. And I mean, again, I can't look at that and be like, it's a curse because he was 80. But right. um, his whole life was such a mess. If, if we're boiling it all down to a curse from one movie he did in 1978, then that feels silly. But whatever. <laughs> what do you fair. think? Curse? Eh. <laughs> curse or Brando? I think that's just life. I yeah. feel like so much of these things that we think are a curse is just like life happening and unfortunate things too. Like, mm -hmm. I also think it's a lot easier to blame something like a curse than mm. for people yeah. to take accountability for their actions or for things that they've done in their life that have caused things to happen that are not great. Um, if it's an external factor outside of your control. Yeah, that's different. You could feel like, there's a comfort there. I, there's nothing I could have done. I would have, something horrible would have happened to me regardless. Yeah. Which is also sad. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Lee Quigley, who played the infant Clark Kent in the 1978 film, died at the age of 14 from solvent abuse, which, Oy. I mean, again, tragic. Um, I, <laughs> I don't really know how I can look at this and be like, you know what happened there? A curse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just real sad. Margot Kidder, 
who played Lois Lane to Reeves' Superman, uh, she had a rather rough go of things as well. She suffered from bipolar disorder and in 1996 had a pretty severe manic episode. What was really gross, when I was looking up newspaper articles from 1996, they were like, Superman curse claims another actor. Uh, because she had a manic episode, which is so gross. Like, this poor woman has a psychiatric episode and people are attributing it to a curse. She was on the street for three days. She was found hiding in some bushes in Glendale, dirty, frightened, and paranoid. She Aww. had cut her own hair and said she was being stalked and had been assaulted. Like it's, it's just sad. That's super sad. I mean, there's lots of people that have gone through psych- psychiatric breaks that have done stuff like this that get not the greatest representation in the media as well. So, like... But they're and rather not than associated with curses. It's just no, exactly. This person's having a tough go. But even then, uh, you know, looking at some of the the more notorious ones that have happened, people people ridicule them, and yeah. and when they're in obvious distress, which is sad. Um, yeah. So uh, she also had a horrible car accident in 1990. She was left unable to work for a couple of years after. But like, this is kind of what I love. Like, I love Margot Kidder. You know, she was in Black Christmas. So she she was one of probably my favorite characters in Black Christmas. Uh, she was adamant the curse was BS. She said, this is all newspaper created rubbish. The idea cracks me up. What about the luck of Superman? When my car crashed this August, if I hadn't hit a telegraph pole after rolling three times, I would have dropped down a 50 to 60 foot ravine. Why don't people focus on that? I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. No, I I love her. Um, And she worked really hard to become, again, an advocate for mental health awareness. In 2007, she said she hadn't had a manic episode in 11 years. Sadly, she died by suicide in 2018 at the age oh. of 69. But again, like a couple of the others, equating this death as some part of curse is is gross. It's so dismissive of someone who she struggled and at times was overcoming it and times couldn't. But um, she worked so hard. Uh, She wrote about how she attempted suicide for the first time when she was 14 to boil all of that down to a curse is so dismissive of everything she did accomplish despite having so many personal demons that's very true Um, it's really sad that she died oh i i was a mess when news came out about it just because uh again i'm i'm a fan um watching i think it was what some of her family said though is is you know um this was one where they weren't surprised and, and it's just sad. You just want people to be able to get support and help if they need it. And yeah. sometimes, yeah. Um, Richard Pryor, a comedian who was in Superman 3, was diagnosed with MS and had addiction issues, which many attribute to the curse. In 1980, he was seriously injured after a drug binge when a fire was ignited from ether being used with cocaine. Oof. He was severely burned and in the hospital for about two months. Uh, this was also, though, about three years before he acted in Superman 3. So I guess um, 
Was he precursed? Is that what we call a precursor? It's a precursor. Uh, (laughs) And he he died in 2005 at the age of 65. But like Margot Kidder, he had so many struggles through the years, which took a a huge toll on his health. He was even quoted acknowledging, quote, I couldn't escape the darkness. Acting in one Superman movie? I don't think that's what did all of these things. No, and I feel like the timing is more telling than anything. Exactly. Uh, Five months before Man of Steel came out in 2013, one of the producers, Lloyd Phillips, died. He had a heart attack at the age of 63, which, I mean, happens. Again, 63 is not, like, old, but... Yeah. Someone having a heart attack at the age of 63, nobody's sitting there saying, well, what a surprise that was. Sure. Uh, This might be my favorite one. Kate Bosworth... (laughs) She played Lois Lane in Superman Returns and said that the curse caused her breakup with Orlando Bloom. (sighs) Apparently she was reluctant to take the part and things had been rocky with the couple. A friend said after the fact, quote, the stress of Kate filming and then promoting Superman Returns was too much for her, especially with Orlando being so busy with Pirates of the Caribbean at the time. It's something they had suffered before in their relationship, but Superman was the one that broke them up. Which like, okay, I have thoughts. Um, girlfriend was like 23 at the time. So a 23 year old broke up her boyfriend. It must be a decades long curse. I mean, if she's 23, I I can see why she would believe that because she's 23. She's 23. But also I'm really happy that they broke up because she's with Justin Long now and they're really cute together. And I think they're engaged. Oh, they're really cute together. Honestly, and like super in love. It's really, really cute. Well, and Orlando Bloom has been married to Katy Perry for or ever engaged, whatever. I don't know what they are. They have kids. Um, They have kid. Kid. He he has he has kids. She has kids. Oh. Okay. Because he was married to what's her name? Miranda something? I don't know. I don't don't pay attention. (laughs) Orlando Bloom has never been on my list of like, oh, Orlando Bloom. So I'm eh. Um, <laughs> like, didn't I tell I you I got an Orlando Bloom cutout for Nicole for her shower or for her oh bachelorette when he was in um, Lord of the Rings as Legolas? Um, so yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so my Orlando Bloom rant. Um, yeah. No, again, this is not a curse. Your curse is not the curse is not breaking you up. That's, that's no. Hollywood. You're both too busy. You're both young. Well, she's younger than him, but whatever. You're not seeing each other. You broke up. Any movie she would have done would have had the same result. If you want us to take a curse seriously, don't use this as an example. (laughs) Fair. I agree with you on that one. 100%. You've diminished any argument you had. Fair. Uh, Okay. This is another just we're hitting. We're hitting the truly ridiculous. Oh, I'm so so excited. There were three people who worked on the DVD for Superman Returns who were injured, and director Brian Singer remarked, quote, My DVD crew absorbed the curse for us. One of the crew tumbled downstairs, another was beaten up while being mugged, and a third smashed into a glass window. That's just life, man. They're having a rough go. Right? Well, and it's like, okay, how many people work on something like this? Statistically, at least a couple of them are going to get injured or have an accident. (laughs) Like hundreds of people. Yeah. Uh, Allison Mack is also sometimes associated with a curse. And this one is another one that's kind of bizarre to me. She played Chloe Sullivan on Smallville. She was accused of sex trafficking and forced human labor and was sentenced to three years in prison. 
that's again that's not a curse that's being a horrible person <laughs> and that's just consequences yeah i feel like some people don't understand the definition of curse no i like, think it just becomes easier to throw things at it if it already exists if this happened why not it's cursed why not um and that is the superman curse and honestly i think a lot of this isn't from a literal curse but more of the curse that comes of being a part of a popular franchise um entertainment editor at the week scott meslow he stated it really well he said quote if there's any truth to the curse it's because we're talking about arguably one of the most iconic characters created by an american when you play a role like that the risk you carry is not getting other work when you're superman you're always superman I guess that's the curse, right? Is that yeah. you're always Superman. You're always Superman. And the frustrations of show business, um, like, hmm. You think about how many thousands and thousands of people have worked on Superman. Like, the in some capacity through sure. the decades it has been around. Right. Uh, the comics, the movies, the cartoons, the toys, the radio show, anything. Y- yeah. Some of them are going to gone through some shit life um life's gonna life. life because in life you go through shit i this was maybe one of the least convincing curse episodes i think i ever found myself doing but i have been wanting to do it because it is still interesting yeah well i feel like the most interesting part is spart <laughs> i feel like the most interesting part is the origin story and the letter yes the letter to me because that was a piece i had never heard before and yet that's what I find the most interesting. Me too. I feel like it's because, again, with people who are superstitious, reading something like that could really do a number on you. Like, yeah. Or believing in and something, yet, you're manifesting it, you know? That part of it is not readily reported. Which I seems had, so weird. I did digging to find those letters. Um, but I will also say, like, look at how many actors have played Superman who have been fine. Like, Brandon Routh played Superman in Superman Returns, and you could argue his career hasn't been awesome since then, but also, like, he's not that great of an actor, so there's that. Um, (laughs) Not a curse, just bad acting. Not a curse, just bad acting. (laughs) Dean Cain played the part in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He's fine, like, not as a human being. He's an asshole. Voted for Trump (laughs) twice, but, like, he's fine. Um, Tom Not a curse, just bad taste. Not a curse, just... (laughs) Just an asshole. Tom Welling played Clark Kent in Smallville. Uh, he's had a solid career in television. Um, also, hi, can we take a moment to talk about Henry Cavill? Like, seriously, can we? Oh, yeah. Rosef is hot. He's not hurting for work. He's the, he was the witcher, and he he's, gave the witcher he, up. He's a babe, but also I heard he's a really big asshole. I would believe that as well, because he's very pretty, but still. Um, also, okay, you know how many voice actors have voiced the part in cartoons? People I didn't even, I didn't really, like, Jerry O'Connell voiced him a couple times. Really? Adam Baldwin. Agent Cooper himself. Kyle MacLachlan. Alan really? Tudyk, who can do no wrong in my eyes. Rip Wash. Um, Tim Daly from Wings. Like, there's all of these actors. I was like, shit, I didn't know you voiced them in one of the cartoons at some point. They're all fine. It's so random. I had no idea all those actors voiced him. Well. I mean, but here's the thing, like, voice work is where, I mean, that's where Mark Hamill has done so yeah, much voice work. Yeah, I know about that. It's, it's Dracula, right? Well, and it's lucrative, and you can, you have a little more flexibility. The hours are kinder, because uh, you're not, you know, on set for three months somewhere for 
you know, 18 hours a day. So especially people who have families, I understand the appeal of kind of switching to more voice work. But uh, ultimately, I feel like I know what you're going to say, Gabby, but curse or no curse. <laughs> I'm going to say people are assholes and life is going to life. <laughs> Now, I'm going to ask the Gabby of four years ago when we first started this podcast, what would she have said? She would have said, it's probably cursed. I don't know. I'm going to mold her. It's going to curse. But then, you know, happy four years, friend. I can't believe we've been doing this for four freaking years. This is wild. What is time? But Mulder has manifested into Scully in most instances. (laughs) And I think Scully is very proud of the transformation that Mulder has made. I am. She's going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's nice to like, I don't know. I'm, I am, I am happy that, that you have um, expanded how you look at certain play- things and situations and just, uh, yeah, like ask questions. It's good to ask questions. People. Yeah. I feel like, questions. well, because here's the thing. I'm going to go on a very mini rant for a second. Okay. Do it. Of like, I feel like there's a stigma against debunking. And <laughs> in the sense of like, well, if people debunk, that means that they don't like paranormal things or they don't sure. believe in paranormal. Like how how many times when we tell someone about our podcast who's never heard of us, when you say you're the Scully and I'm the Mulder and you, they're like, oh, you don't believe you're, you're a skeptic. And you're like, no, I do believe. But yeah. like, I just need evidence. Evidence, yeah. right? Like, so like, I think it's just... I think people are very closed minded when they think about what debunking means and why we do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the process I went through in looking at so many cases. I can't believe this is episode 110 after four years of doing Mm. this. If we didn't learn anything, what the hell are we doing? You know what I mean? Right. So many cases where, I mean, it's fun. Do not get me wrong. I Uh love believing in anything. Please, I want want to believe. Why do you think we cover cryptids? Like, I would love to believe in that shit. Give me a... (sighs) Give me a sad, emo, crying cryptid (laughs) any day of the week. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I value information that's valid. Yes. And I don't just want to take someone's word for something just because they said it. Yeah. A story can be fun, but it doesn't mean I'm going to always believe it. And Mm -hmm. like, I Mm -hmm. think that that's where maybe there can be that stigma around debunking is that people think, oh, well, you just don't believe in anything or you're just Mm -hmm. anti ghosts or anti paranormal. But we're really not like we actually love these stories. Yes. And what even motivated us to have this podcast in the first place was learning more about them mm-hmm. and like understanding why the Winchester Mystery House story is so freaking <laughs> sad and like not at all what a lot of people think it is. Like there's so much sadness behind a lot of these stories that doesn't mm-hmm. get told. And so I think being able to not even just sadness, but just like but even this topic, like yeah. curses, it's sad. There's a lot of messed up stuff that happened. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I think a lot of people hide behind the paranormal as a facade to dealing with and coping with sadness and trauma in uh-huh. a way that's actually like more psychological than anything. 
that people can believe in things so easily without having the evidence to prove that it's actually a paranormal thing or not. Yeah. So anywho, I just I wanted to say that because we do love a good paranormal story. Obviously, if you've listened to our podcast, you know this like, oh, yeah. How many have we covered? I don't I don't know, man. Too So many. There's never no such thing as too many, but like so many. It's because we love this. It's so mm-hmm. fun. But it's also really interesting to learn about. And yeah. so this is applicable to curses in this type it's of situation, true. too. So mm-hmm. anywho, mm-hmm. that's how we feel. That's how I feel. That's what I've learned in our four years together <laughs> to appreciate the the Scully as much as the Mulder. Um, and obviously an eye roll in between is going to happen because it's inevitable um inevitable so are bad dad jokes when you have me around so it is true yes you get what you pay for you know what i mean you get what you pay for but a good topic on the curse of superman thank you it's it's, again it's been on my list for a while so uh i'm i'm happy to finally get to talk about a little bit yeah yeah And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Cam, what you watching? Uh, I threw out a couple that have been on my 100 Days of Horror list I haven't talked about yet, although I will say Hollywood Lands, which I talked about during the episode. It's worth a watch. I kind of want to rewatch it now. I meant to rewatch it before and just didn't have time. We had a tighter turnaround on recording than we normally do, so there you You go. You did great. Thank you. Uh, I watched The Nun 2, and what I will say is that... Don't um, watch it. (laughs) If you saw the trailer... You saw all the best parts. <laughs> I hate when they do that. So if you're curious, watch the trailer and you've basically seen the movie. All right. Uh, a couple of people were like, it's better than The Nun 1. I'm like, if that's our bar, uh, that's a problem. <clears throat> uh, I did watch Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, and? I mean, it's cute. Like, it's fun. It's fine. It's not offensive. <laughs> um... I don't have the like joy for the video game that some people do, mm. uh, but it, it was entertaining enough. It, it's the kind of I don't know. It feels like the kind of movie I would have watched like at a sleepover when I was a tween. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's funny that you say that because the family that watches Spooky, who we see every once in a while, mm-hmm. um, has a tween. Oh, there and you go. Was going to go see this on. The Saturday night of Halloween when we were dropping him off for, like, our little date night that we had for our anniversary. And she made, like, a whole outfit to dress up for the movie. So when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, I've literally seen it firsthand. Well, because it's, you know, even when I was watching it, I was like, I feel like they're struggling a little bit with who their audience is. Because there are a couple sort of dark themes in it Mm. that I wouldn't want to show it to kids. But for full-on teenagers, it feels too tame really but, okay yeah um <laughs> i mean it's it's like it's goofy right it's just goofy enough but it it tweens feels like kind of their target audience but even then i don't know it it was fine it was cute i i it, it was it was unoffensive it was it was it was solid it nothing that that it's not going to change anyone's life but um i don't think they're going to be like angry they watched it 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know your life. Um, I did finally watch All Hallows Eve, which I had not seen before. For those of you who don't know, All Hallows Eve is the birth of Art the Clown of Terrifier. It's an anthology film. Uh, it was originally put together as a couple shorts that were done that were then later combined to make this anthology film. Um, are you, you've not seen Terrifier. Have, no, you shouldn't see Terrifier. You would hate it. Uh, <laughs> this is probably why I haven't seen it. No, it's, it's not a Gabby movie. It's, it's gore. It's just pure gore. Uh, practical effects for the most part. And I mean, again, interesting enough, but not, um, you would not like it. Uh, and All Hallows Eve was like, it's like any anthology film. Some of the segments are stronger than others. I actually like the segment that tied everything together about the babysitter the most. Um, but uh, yeah, that's not what I've been watching. How about you? What you've been watching? I'm in a similar boat, man. It's not been that long since we've recorded last, so it's not that much that we can say we watched. I did rewatch um, Adam's Family Values and Aww. Adam's Family I'm in the middle of because I just usually watch them every fall and I didn't before November started. Sure. Um, and I just love them both so much. I really mm-hmm. want to dress up as Debbie and Fester with Terrence one year Aww. where like Fester is dressed like with his blonde wig. Like... <laughs> really 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 want to do that as a costume but i'm like that's a dedicated amount of money that needs to go into two costumes so we'll see if that actually happens um but i I love those movies they're so just iconic for the time and so funny some of the jokes that i like never really caught in original adam's family um not original original but like the one in the 90s with um, sure sure with you know christina ricci and all those people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um very funny uh and i also got to see something live i got Ooh. to go see kim douthit in her play called oh, yeah, cry it did. out <laughs> on friday with ghost daddy ghost um, it was there. a whole reunion of podcast stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and she did incredible you did great friend thank um, you had some references to some horror films in there which were really that's funny true. that's true uh, and I got to hang out with Kim's mom and dad, and it was a really yeah, good time. Yeah, David Norma came out. It was nice. David it was Norma. Exciting. It was good to see them. I got to talk to your dad about trains. It was so fun. I have to, <laughs> you like, started that. I have to give him <laughs> pictures now because I took pictures, and I just I, maybe I'll send them to you, and you can send them to him. But um, I can we'll share talk it with him it when I'm when I'm there for Another Thanksgiving. Time. Yes, yes. I'll just send you all of them, and you can be like, Gabby told me to send you this or show you this. And <laughs> it'll be a good time. Yes, um, but it was really nice. It was. I honestly haven't gone to see a play. I think. I don't remember the last time I went to see a play. <laughs> I, I think I went to see Phantom of the Opera at the Pantages Theater in 2019. Oh, damn. I think that's the last time I saw a play. <laughs> so that was nice. So thank you for being a, an actress in a play. Thank you for supporting theater. <laughs> of course. Anything for you, Kim Douthit? Um, but yeah. Uh, that's that's all I've been watching because I've been doing homework outside of that and that's editing true. this podcast. So ain't also nobody true. got time. Nope. Uh, but next time I will have more for you. Um, but having said that, thank you for listening. Happy four years. Um, if you don't know, we have lots of social medias that you can take a gander at. Me too. Um, there's a cute picture of of me and Kim from the evening of the play that we just recently on the ferry. posted on the ferry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to take a look at see who we are as humans or the you know humans that have cryptids inside and wear human suits. That's um, true. Shh, don't tell. Uh, we already did. Shoot. Damn it. Damn it, Gabby. <sighs> 
damn it. Uh, but yeah, and if you like what we do, head on over to Patreon if you want to give us your money, please, money, to help please. support us. We appreciate you. <laughs> and if you can't do that, I understand. Go over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us a rating review. We really appreciate you and um, your listenership. Any supporters of the podcast, thank you for being around as long as we have. For those of you that are new, welcome and thank you for your support. And having said that, stay. stay.